It may seem obvious, but the best person to design appropriate care for a community is someone from the community. A fact exemplified by these innovative projects featuring meaningful collaboration and co-design for services for our First Nations people. From up in Cairns to down in Metro North, the projects are unified by the fact that they are making strides towards closing the gap by providing care by mob, for mob. And that is the key. Hello everybody and thank you so much for having us along today. Before we get started, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting today and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And I'd also just personally like to acknowledge the First Nations people, um, their courage, resilience, wisdom and knowledge. And I feel very honoured to work with my First Nations colleagues um, every day because I learn so much. So. Um, I'm actually a ring-in for today's presentation, um, I apologise. Um, you were meant to be hearing from Kiris Reese, who is pictured up there, um, who is one of our clinical nurses and proud Torres Strait Islander woman. And she has very inconveniently decided to study medicine and is in her first year studying for her exams. Unfortunately, you'll have to bear with me today. Um, I've come to talk to you about the work we're doing at the Royal Brisbane Hospital in our emergency department and we're part of a team um, that's led by Curis and um, a really passionate bunch of clinicians and um, that project is called TEX which stands for Transforming Emergency Departments Towards Cultural Safety and really our work has come about from Curis's vision which is to um, be leaders in cultural safety for First Nations Health in the emergency department. And I think the emergency department is a really important space because it is the door that is open for health when all other doors are closed. And for some patients, it might be the only time that they present to a health service. And if we can't get that emergency to visit right and make sure that that's culturally safe as it can be, then it can taint someone's health journey um, for the rest of the remainder of their journey. So it's really, really important. And we know, unfortunately, that our emergency department, and I don't think we're alone in this, has not been doing a fantastic job previously. And we know this because what our data shows is that one in 10 of our patients that identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander are not having a complete visit of care. And I think what we really hope to do with TECS um, is to change some of the wording around that. And I think you've heard terms like left after treatment, commenced or um, discharge against medical advice, which really, I think, puts the onus back on the patient to be like, well, why didn't, want you, why didn't you want to stay? And I really think we need to change that language and think about, well, why didn't the patient feel safe enough to stay? And the onus is then on us as a health service to make that experience better and to improve that service. And we couldn't do that in our emergency department without engaging with our local community. And we were lucky enough to get some funding from the Mental Health, Alcohol and Other Drugs branch um, to try to create a more welcome environment in our ED. Um, so that encompassed the physical space, um, but also I think a crucial part of that was to have members of the community come into our ED and tell us how we could do things better. We also visited some of our local community services um, and elders groups to help get that advice as well. 
And that culminated in not only improving the physical environment in our ED, but actually having the local elders group come and visit. Um, and also provide some advice to us on another um, idea that we had for improving um, care for our First Nations patients in our emergency department, and that was to establish a new role. And we've heard a lot today about the value of healthcare workers, and we had this idea of implementing the first that we know of um, role in the emergency department or an urban emergency department for a senior First Nations healthcare worker. But there was no point doing that without um, asking the community first. So that's what we did. And we were very um, privileged to be supported by the community and to hear their voices say, yes, this is something that we want um, for our people. This is something we want in our local emergency department. So we were lucky to have that support, but also to get funding. And we employed um, the um, First Nations senior healthcare worker role um, from January this year, and that's um, commenced. And so far, um, that role has been really successful in terms of um, our patient care. So we've actually seen improvements in our incomplete visits, um, also the staff testimonials. So part of that role is to provide direct care to patients, um, um, to do healthcare activities like um, opportunistic COVID vaccinations, health education, um, and to also provide staff with cultural education and training. Um, but what I really think um, Julie, who is our First Nations healthcare worker who's here today, would say the most important part of her role is, is to establish a trusting relationship with patients and their families. And trust is something that's hard to earn but easy to break. And then it is on the rest of the emergency department team to continue that continuity of trust um, throughout the patient's journey. Now for an awkward segue, the other important part of Julie's role is to also promote the Better Together Medication Access Scheme, which Anne will talk to you more about. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Um, so I too would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and respect uh, the elders past, present and future. And also on a personal note, I would like to absolutely thank uh, the Indigenous colleagues that I have worked with along the way, including for the BTMA project uh, and Kirsty down there. Um, massive thank you to you and your team for supporting the project, but also for all of the opportunities. And I can't wait to see what magic we get to weave together in the future. All right, so um, Tracy has given you a little bit of a taster of this. Um, oh, let me actually put the slide up. Um, so yeah, a little taster of this program already, so I'm here to unpack that a little bit further. Um, so many of you will have heard of the Close the Gap scheme in community pharmacy. Um, so what that means is our Indigenous patients are able to obtain subsidised medications on the PBS uh, in community pharmacy. That's all well and good. It's a great system. It works wonderfully out in community, although um, there's always opportunity for improvement, of course. But when we talk about hospital discharge prescriptions, um, it, the system falls down. So hospital discharge prescriptions are actually not covered under CTG which means you end up with this very convoluted picture over here. So for our patients who get their discharge medication scripts, um, they have lots of opportunity to take their scripts to community pharmacy or to hospital pharmacy or back to their CTG registered GP. Um, and then from there, a myriad of different pathways can follow. Um, as you can imagine, that ends up with um, in, in best case scenario, medications provided with, with cost um, or um, the, the worst case scenario, I guess, is that people do not take their medications because let's be honest, um, that is a lot of extra steps that you have to go to when you're feeling incredibly unwell, you've just come out of hospital and there's all sorts of other things going on at home. 
and, and within yourself, of course. So, of course, this whole system, the system that was supposed to actually make things better for patients, um, has actually created more and more barriers to access. Um, and all, this is the type of thing that we're trying to, trying to eliminate and actually it's made it worse. Um, so that then, of course, flows on to barriers to improving the health outcomes of our patients because they aren't actually taking the medications as prescribed. Uh, we did as a part of a follow-up evaluation for BTMA and we were told, um, so 20%, only 20% of people said that they actually would follow through and get their medications on discharge prior to BTMA. That's 80% of people who did not get their medications. Um, so obviously that results in poorer health outcomes and then, uh, surprise, surprise, increased health service utilisation as people come back into hospital. So what actually is BTMA? In its simplest form, it is literally these three steps. Um, so as Tracy said before, so we ask our patients, do you identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander on admission? And then the follow-up question is, would you like to opt into BTMA? And the reason we have this second question is because when we uh, were speaking to, to MOB and to community when we were setting this program up, um, there was a big feeling that we wanted to provide people with a choice, choice to opt in or choice to opt out. Um, so hence the second question there. And there are people that opt out, and, but the um, overwhelming majority opt in. Um, and then the next step is that medications are dispensed at our Metro North pharmacies at no out-of-pocket cost. And it's literally that simple, simple and effective. Okay, so but it couldn't have happened, of course, without the many, many, many stakeholders and enablers around the place. So, uh, like I've said, big shout out to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership team for Metro North for supporting this and really driving it home for us. Um, need to shout out, of course, all of the Metro North pharmacy departments. Uh, they have been absolutely integral in actually driving this as well. Um, but then, alongside that, with our Indigenous hospital liaison, Indigenous hospital liaison officers who um, are having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with our patients, alongside our pharmacy staff. And they've really helped us with um, improving our uh, cultural competence as well amongst the staff there. Um, so Metro North Executive, very, very supportive. And again, thank you if there are any in the room or online. Um, so they helped us with the process and approvals, um, obviously providing the champions as well to just make things happen um, and then helping us with our procedures and protocols. Uh, we've also had IT teams help us with various steps along the way. So um, updating our demographic de uh, database, the patient identification labels, our dispensing software to actually make this happen because um, you know there's extra steps that need to happen for us to be able to um, not charge the patient um, and making sure that we've got our handover system so we use patient flow manager and we've had a specific BTMA column which really um, highlights it there and makes sure that it's, it's captured and handed over to others um, and then we've got some data dashboards and I've got some information from that in the next slide. Um, but our media team, massive shout out to the media team. Um, they've helped us so much with community liaison, um, including a lot of social media and local media, um, banners and brochures and the T-shirts. Wow, aren't these T-shirts popular? Uh, so the picture there in the middle, um, you can see this on any given day in any pharmacy department, at least I'd probably say 20 to 30% of staff are wearing their BTMA shirts. And what that's really done is it started conversations in the corridor. Um, it's, it's made people stop and say, hey, that's a cool shirt. What's, what's going on with that? Tell me more. Um, so do not underestimate the power of a T-shirt. <laughs> Okay, so look, um, in the interest of time, I won't go through all of these stats, but as you can see, um, in, since implementation in October 2020, we have been able to help so many consumers, um, so many medications, uh, subsidised medications there. Um, and if you look at the cost of how much it's cost in terms of co-payments that have been waived, it's not that much in the scheme of things, and yet the impact has been so absolutely phenomenal.
Um, so we did do, as I said, some community surveys uh, after we implemented it, and this was the big thing that oh, I still get shivers with this. I now don't have to pick between food and medicine. How powerful is that? It's just, that's, that's the why. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, unsurprisingly, BTMA takes the financial pressure off, and I'm actually going to get my medicines on discharge. And as a pharmacist, that is the music to my ears. <laughs> it's actually what we want. Um, but there are, have been so many other outcomes as well from BTMA. So we've really noticed our staff has much more improved cultural capabilities, probably much more than I ever could have anticipated, which is just fabulous to see. We've got these improved staff relationships. So pharmacy probably knew about our IHLOs, but they probably didn't have too much to do with them. Um, but now, you know, you see those conversations on the ward. Everyone knows where the world ward pharmacists are, where the IHLOs are, and they're really having those conversations and making things better for our patients. Um, what we've also found is because we're identifying our patients early, we're able to then improve our linkages with service, services post-discharge, and that has been a big contributing factor to um, the stats on the next slides, which are very, very powerful. Um, and then, of course, as I've alluded to, uh, this has opened up so many more collaboration opportunities and so excited as, as to what the future may bring for us. Thank you. Uh, okay, so this is this is the money slide. So this is our 28-day um, readmission rate uh, for all patients, so um, non-Indigenous specific. This is what BTMA has done. Now, even though obviously readmissions um, has um, well, um, sorry. I've, lost my train of thought. Um, so our Indigenous population already start at a higher readmission rate, and that's something that we know about. Um, readmissions are multifactorial, so they might not purely be because of BTMA um, or because showing the impact of BTMA, but even if only a 10% or a small percentage of that, you can just see how much further that's come down. 51% reduction is pretty amazing. All right, so what's next? Many things. Um, so at the moment we're looking to scope in the outpatient setting and what they, that might look like. Um, we really want to do more in-depth representation, readmissions, evaluation to really kind of nut down to what's going on there with those stats. Um, of course, we're always looking to improve systems and um, including the digital environment. So we do have an IMR for STARS, uh, but what that might look like on a statewide basis if we hopefully go down that track. Um, and then, of course, ongoing collaboration, education and pro uh, promotion. And again, massive shout-outs to everyone who's been involved in the project. So, so wonderful to see. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.